Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 1030 for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you'd like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. Okay, let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter. We're going to continue our study there. Um, so this is going to get real good, real, real good. <laughs> We've seen 1 Peter. We're going to be looking into a couple of sections that seem to be hot topics for many. Um, because I'm a pastor, and be, you know, when I have engaging conversations with people, they'll bring up topics that they would assume that I'm you know, familiar with, and we'll have conversations about worldview or et cetera. And one of those two things, or actually two of several things that come up often is government, politics, right? And, uh, woo, fun topic, and slavery. You know, uh, you've heard it said that so many people outside the church uh, have a problem with the church or Christianity or Jesus because it endorses slavery. Uh, have you heard anything like that before? Um, it, what's interesting is that in my experience having conversations with people, it's very easy to see why people would be upset with that kind of thing, but that's when you have the mindset of slavery as it was in the 19, what was it, 60s, 50s, 60s here in the United States. Well, today we're gonna address slavery a little bit. We're also gonna address government a little bit, but trust me, I'm not going to get political because it's not my job, okay? We're going to get biblical, all right? So be ready for this. So if there's something that you don't like, you're going to have to take that up with the Lord, all right? Now, trust, trust me, there are things here that I don't like. In fact, I kept saying this with Sandy. I said, one day I'm going to do a sermon series and I'm going to title it, Things I Wish Weren't in the Bible, all right? Because there are just things in there sometimes that are challenging to the degree where we rather not face them, right? Nevertheless, it's important for us to, to see them, to go through them, to study them. And after all, it is in here. And if it is in here, we must address it, okay? So let's do that. Let's open to First Peter. And before we do that, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a, a recap of what we've seen so far. So as I mentioned, we're going to read into government and we're going to read into slavery a little bit. And I find that these particular topics are extremely relevant today. So as we read it the first time, you're going to think, yeah, I don't know how that's going to relate to me because I'm personally not a slave, right? And uh, I don't have a master, but how does it relate to me? Well, this is a question that the folks in these times, remember, Peter addressed this, this letter to several of the elect exiles, right? They probably asked the same question. How do we get practical with some of the things that Peter has said here? We're going to do that. We're going to keep diving into that. And so, again, or just to recap before we get in here so that we kind of have that runway before we take off today. All right. Peter has addressed a few things and very important things. He started this letter with salvation is God's and he will save whom he will save and he will never forsake that. We saw that in the beginning. We talked about uh, predestination, election, and our salvation compels us to be obedient. And through our obedience, we are uh, moved into action and therefore we are sanctified. Okay? And so sanctification is a lifelong process that will never quit, never stop until we see Jesus face to face. Peter has addressed that. He's also addressed um, that it is 
that this is not our best life as believers, as Christians, as those who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is not the best life we're going to have. We have somewhat, something to look forward to. We have life and glory and eternity to look forward to. All right, so this is not it. Let's not be conformed to this world. We are exiles in a broken world, waiting to be taken home to eternal glory. Another thing that he mentions is that as long as we're here, as long as we're breathing, as long as we're moving, as long as we're uh, in the flesh and in this world, we are to be in action, continually advancing the kingdom of God. Remember, he used the, the word prepare for action, or in the old King James, it says, gird up the loins of your minds, right? In other words, we can't be idle. We're not just saved so that we can lounge and just wait for a reservation in heaven. We're supposed to be active. We're supposed to be moving. We're supposed to be growing in our calling. We're supposed to be a part of the expansion of the kingdom of God. Then he goes on and says that we ought to be holy. We ought to be a holy people, not just positionally holy, but also in practice. What, is, what do I mean by that? Positionally holy, when you're saved, you are justified which means you're set apart. So in that regard, you're holy, right? But to be practically holy, it means that you're living in a way, you're behaving in a way that's set apart, that you're doing things according to God's will, not yours. So that's the next thing he says. And then he keeps going from there and he says, we ought to have a longing for the word of God. We talked about this last week. We ought to crave it as a newborn longs for milk, okay? So we're constantly having to come here and learn from here and acquire wisdom and knowledge from the Word of God. And then finally, he says, we ought to conduct ourselves, or finally thus far, he says, we ought to conduct, our, conduct ourselves in a way worthy of the gospel, in an honorable way. Okay, so this is all action-based. We're talking about how we ought to behave, how we ought to conduct ourselves as believers, as Christians. So again, if you were one of these recipient, recipients of the word, of this letter, you might be wondering, well, how do I do that? How do I conduct myself in a way that's holy, set apart, and all of these things that you have said? Well, you are a recipient of this letter, so you should be asking the question, right? How do you conduct yourself? How do we do these kind of things? Because I'll tell you what, we are all just instinctively ingrained in the culture that surrounds us. We tend to think in that capacity and so it's very important for us to also be aware of what the word says so that we're not persuaded by our culture as much as we're persuaded by the word of god now it's good to have culture right it's good to have traditions and things like that but it needs to be god honoring it needs to be in in a way where you are set apart for him first and foremost and in all things be set apart is what he's saying so what does it look like to behave or to conduct yourself in a way that is honorable and worthy of the gospel. That's what we're going to start looking into. So Peter said this last week in chapter 2, that this is we, how we need to behave and we need to endure the, the things, the pressures that come in this world. And so now he's going into how you actually do it. So this is more of a how-to section in Scripture. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 through 25 today. And it says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom 
as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only in the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it and you endure it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father, for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us understand it in a way that activates us, Lord, to move forward according to your will. We are told that this is your will right here. Help us, Lord Jesus, live this out. We pray in your name. Amen. All right. So, as mentioned earlier, we're going to focus on two particular things. First thing, how to be respectful to those in authority. Some of us do pretty good at this, and some of us, we're pretty terrible at this, okay? So how to be respectful for those in authority. We're going to talk about what does that mean to be in authority? Who are these people? Okay, so that's the first thing we're going to look at. The second thing we're going to look like is how servants ought to behave towards their masters. Again, you might think, how, how is that even relevant to me? We're going to break that down today. The first thing, though, uh, that we're going to dive into is respect for authority, and that's going to be chap uh, chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. Okay, so generally speaking, there are two pools of people. Let's see where you identify yourself at. Generally speaking, there's the rule followers right here, and then there's the rebels right here, okay? The rule followers are those who, hey, they read a sign, they follow the rules, right? If there's a law, they do it according to it. If there's a package and there's instructions in the packages on how to do something, you're going to read the instructions and you're going to do it according to the instructions. Rule followers are very important. You know, uh, for example, I have a I have actually several rule followers and when I'm in the car and if they're in this in the passenger seats, they let me know when my speedometer is going a little bit high. You know, those are people who are just very adamant about doing the right thing. God bless them. Amen. It's very important to have those type of people. They understand the importance of having rules. Rules prevent chaos. Right. They know this. And then we have another set of set of people, another pool of people, and those are the rebels. Those rebels consider rules as suggestions, right? They think it's 45, we could probably do 55, you know, or it's 60, let's do 75, and so on and so forth. Oh, it says to heat it up for five minutes, let's just zap it for two or whatever, you know. Rebels are usually people who kind of just feel things out, they gauge it, and then they, they go according to their gut feeling, right? According to what they know is right over what is wrong. 
And so God blessed the rebels, though, because out of that group comes zealots, people who are adamant about certain things, and they will not be pushovers, okay? And so we have the rule followers, we have the rebels, and then Peter says, hey, we ought to be a holy people, a holy nation. Above all, we need to be set aside and holy. What does that mean? It means that we need to be rule followers. There's a time for that. And then there's also a time to be rebels. And it's, it's a kind of interesting. It's like, okay, so when, when do we follow the rules and when do we not follow the rules? Now, a little background. Caesar Nero. We've talked about Caesar a little bit. He was considered deity. It's God. He had a lot of authority. He had a lot of jurisdiction, jurisdiction and authority with that. If he said anything, he could decree anything and it would happen. He was the king over the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is huge at this time. They have conquered and command several nations and several cultures. Caesar Nero, this is the current emperor of the time, is what, what I call a very big cheese, okay? And so a lot of people bring homage to him. They bring honor to him. They worship him, and he loves it. He's fed by that. I mean, what human doesn't like praise, right? <laughs> and so Caesar Nero is this guy who is currently governing and ruling over the entire Roman Empire, and Peter is in that heart of the Roman Empire, Rome itself. Now, there's a problem here. This is when the Christian church begins to be persecuted to a degree like none before. These terrible things are going to happen here, and they're just starting to happen around this time that, that Peter's writing this letter. He has not... Caesar Nero has not fully released the wrath onto the Christians, his wrath onto the Christians. Here's the thing, though. Christians were doing something that what we would say was honorable. They were refusing to worship Caesar. Wouldn't you say that's a good thing? Wouldn't you say, yeah, go Christians, woo, right? But it was getting to the degree where they were rebelling a lot, too far, too much, they were getting to the place where they were no longer law-abiding citizens because anything that Caesar decreed to them was something that they didn't have to do because if it did not come from God himself, then we will not live according to that. Do you see, do you see how it's starting to become a problem? And so Peter's now going to address this thing. Here's the thing that gets even worse. Nero has this desire to rebuild Rome, but he has not approved the finances to do it, and so there's a fire that breaks out. And he accuses the Christians to do, of this fire. He uses them as a scapegoat, and it's easy for him to do that because there's good reason to blame the Christians. The Christians are rebelling against the government. All right? So paint the picture. I hope that helps. And so, even though we're believers, we're called to holiness. And there's a time for everything, and it seems like it's a noble thing for them not to bow or bend their knee at Caesar, but at the same time, they're going a little too far, and to, in a way that it is no longer honoring to the Lord. And so let's read. Let's see what happens, and so let's see what Peter says in regards to this matter. He starts in verse 13 of chapter 2, and he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake. What does that mean to be subject? That means to be submissive. He's saying, be submissive, be respectful, be humble, be at the service of. You're beginning to think too much of yourself. Your pride's getting out of hand to the, to the point where it's no longer God honoring. And he says, be subject for the Lord's sake, not for Caesar's sake, not for the Roman's sake, for the Lord's sake. Be subject 
This is a proper Christian response to authority. It reflects positively of Jesus and Jesus, because if you are a Christian, that means that you are Christ-like. And if you're going to be Christ-like and you're going to be representing Jesus, be careful on how you do that. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. So for, for the Lord's sake, be, be humble, be respectful. Do not lose respect for anybody. This is Jesus' reputation at stake. I'm going to ask you this, and you're probably going to shake your head and say yes. Have you ever met someone who professes to be a Christian, and you think, man, you are far from a Christian, right? There are so many people that give Jesus a bad rap because they don't know him. They don't represent him well. Peter's saying, don't, don't be like that, okay? For the Lord's sake, be subject, be respectful, be gracious. Why, though? Why should we do this? Don't you see what Caesar's doing? Don't you see what the Romans do to us? They're hurting us. They're killing us. Well, for the Lord's sake, why? Romans 13.1. Paul also addresses this to the people in the regions that he was sent to, to the Gentiles. He also gives the same message to them. He gives it to the Romans and he gives it to the, to the, the Colossians and to the Ephesians. All of them get the same message. But why? For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So whether you like who is in charge right now, whether you like Caesar Nero, or whether you like the president of the United States today, guess what? The Lord installed that leader. In his sovereignty, he saw it fit that that person would have the power to govern over you. So for the Lord's sake, we need to be respectful to those who are governing authorities. I told you you weren't going to like this, right? And sometimes it's easier to be respectful to those whom we love, right, and whom we like. Oh, you're doing what I like for you to do, so therefore I'm going to give you honor. But as long as you do what I don't agree with, I'm going to disrespect you to the T. No, that is not God honoring. This is what Peter is saying. And so because because God installed them, because God gave them that position, we need to honor God by respecting those who are in position, okay? This is God's word for us. This is something that we have to work on because sometimes we're not very good at this, right? It's very easy to get caught in conversations about the things that we disagree with politically, and then we heat up in an argument, or we feel puffed up because we're in agreement with someone else, and before we know it, we're slandering somebody, we just talked about being cautious against slander last week. And so this is the message that Peter has for his brothers and sisters, for the Christians in the regions, for today, for us today. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Now, the emperor as supreme... This is a clear reference to the Roman king. This is who he's talking about. He's calling Christians to submit to the emperor's rule, but they must not worship him. So check this out. He's saying, hey, be subject to them, but I'm highlighting for the Lord's sake. All right, so anytime you submit yourself to somebody, have God in mind always. You're doing it because you love the Lord, all right? And if you love the Lord, you're gonna be conscious of what's going on all the time. Am I submitting to a degree where I'm honoring the Lord or am I submitted to a degree where I'm dishonoring the Lord? You know, is rule following a good thing in this circumstance or do I need to rebel? 
But ultimately, what is God's will? What honors the Lord the most, right? Or what is it that I have to do? And so if he says, hey, hey, respect the emperor as, as supreme, you know? Okay, I can respect him. I can do what he ordains to do, or let's say what he orders to do as a governor, but I don't need to worship him. You see, there's a, there's a balance between the things. You don't need to worship him. In Matthew 22, uh, verse 21, Jesus is questioned about taxes. Should we pay taxes? What do you say, Jesus? Trying to trap him, trying to get him into a little snare there. And Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God, God's. So give to Caesar what is his and give to God what is his. Oh, so we still have to give to Caesar? Yes. Okay. God has established him as an authority. We still have to render to him what is his, but ultimately to God what is God, right? And for that, we are judged for eternity. And so also to governors, who are those people? Who are the governors? Those are local of, uh, officials, officers who rule on behalf of the emperor or the president, let's say. I'm talking ancient terms here, but I'm sure that you're able to connect them to modern terms, right? These governors, these are senators, these are governors themselves, right? Police officers, perhaps, you know, um, uh, just people who uphold the laws of the land. It could be our teachers, it could be professors, it could be all kinds of people who have the ability to, um, to, to just... How, I'm trying to find the word, like, to retain the law, to uphold the law, right? The rules, these are the rules and they uphold them. They're the ones who make sure that we follow them. We need to be respectful for them. And it continues to say, as, as sent by him to punish those. So here's the thing. The emperor may punish those who do evil, and that's good. That's why the law is a good thing, to control the chaos, to make sure there's peace in the land, right? And then there's sometimes where praise goes out to those who do good. They're honored by it. Perhaps they're promoted, etc., and it says, for this is the will of God. So now we have to underline this and see, okay, what is the will of God here? It says that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Hmm. The will of God is for you to do good so that foolish people are put into silence. This is interesting. So by, by, by believers doing good, even in the midst of persecution, they may stun the persecutor into silence. Think about this. How many times was Jesus kind of uh, 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 sought after? They were, the Pharisees and the, and the religious people tried to ensnare him often. They, they tried to find some kind of guilt in him. They tried to accuse him of breaking the law often, didn't they? They put him in situations where it's like, what do you say about this, Jesus? But Jesus often silenced them by just the good deeds that he did, by the signs that he did, or by the word that he spoke. Because he wasn't necessarily disrespectful, but he was very honest, right? He was very kind, even in times where he didn't need to be kind. Pontius Pilate is trying him, and he couldn't find any guilt in Jesus. Jesus said very little at the time, and the man says, I find no guilt in this person. What do you want me to do? Like, why do you want me to deal with him so harshly? This is what we ought to do, and Christ is our example for that. And we're going to see that very specifically. Christ is the example. And so when we do good things, when we, we behave our, ourselves in a way that's God-honoring, people won't find things against us. How? You know, but instead, they would find reason to honor. They would find reason to appreciate that lifestyle. 
And so what are we doing? Are we reflecting God's character in that way? Are we reflecting Christ in that way? Are we, are we stirring people? <laughs> or are we calming and, and assuring people of the good deeds that we do? Do you see that? And this is what we're, we're asked to do here by Peter. And so it says in verse 16, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, why would he say this? Remember, in Rome, 50% of the population were slaves, just in Rome. And in these other uh, regions, we had anywhere between 20 to the 30 people, 30% of the people of the population who were slaves. And so a lot of the people here understood what it meant to be free, and a lot of them understood what it meant to be a servant or a slave. And so he's saying, live as free people, whether you're free or whether you're slave, live as free people. And not using this freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You know, Peter, Paul said this. He said, everything is permissible, but not everything is profitable. All right? So even though you're able to do things, even though you're free to do certain things, we shouldn't do that because it doesn't necessarily honor the Lord. Right? Now, uh, I'm going to give you a quick example. Last night, and this, is, this, this just happened last night, my wife and I had a pretty tough day and we were looking forward to just ending it and our neighbors decided to throw a party. And the party goes on and on and on. It's 4.30 and I don't even know how long it actually went because we had to move to a different room in the house. Okay? My instinct, my human fleshly instinct, if you can kind of just imagine what I wanted to do, I wanted to go over and I wanted to tell them what big jerks they were. And, and I'm saying, I'm giving you the nice version of what I was thinking, okay? Isn't, isn't that what we sometimes, like our instinct is, is, is say, hey, let me tell them, I, you know what, I'm going to tell them who I am. Who do they think they are, right? And so this happened last night. Wait a minute. You know, God actually holds us to a higher standard. And God bless my wife. She's like, Brandon, you shouldn't do that. Okay, let's just move a different room, right? And so we're called to holiness. We're called to be different. We're called to be set apart. We're called to respond in a way as Jesus would respond. There are so many ways where he was accused, where the fingers were pointed at him, where he was, I would say, disturbed. There was probably reasons uh, or moments where Jesus was probably frustrated with people, but he was just so gracious and loving. You know, I can't even imagine being in his shoes, being surrounded with those, that multitude of people, right? And yet he was gracious, he was kind, he was loving, he was compassionate. And we ought to be the same. So we can live as free people, but not using our freedom as a cover-up, but living as servants of God. And then in 17, we have some very explicit commands here. It says, honor everyone. Guys, all people are deserving of respect simply because they are created in God's image. You know, sometimes we're prejudiced, right? Sometimes we think, yeah, there's something wrong with her. I don't like her. There just rubs me wrong, right? It doesn't matter what you think. That person is an image bearer of God Almighty. And so just because of that, we need to honor that person. We need to be respectful to that person. It says everyone. Honor everyone. This is the call to the Christian. This is the call to the God-fear. This is the call to the one who represents Christ is to honor everyone. Why? Because Genesis 1, 26 through 27 makes it clear. We are created in his image. We are image bearers 
of the God of God Almighty. Amen. And then he continues here in verse 17, says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Uh, This is a very important uh, section there. Love the brotherhood. Sometimes we think, oh, that's easier. No, sometimes brothers fight. You know, how many of you guys have siblings here? Oh, you've brawled with your brothers here and there, haven't you? Yeah, I've had a fight with my brother here and there. We're supposed to love one another, though. We're sometimes when we get when we're really close, when we're close quarters, we kind of get frustrated with one another. Right. There's that. But aside from that, it's just real life. It's just that people are going through things and we need to be able to care for one another. This is the brotherhood, guys. It's not just your siblings. It's one another right here. We're supposed to care and love for one another. And then Peter goes on. And I love this and underline this. It says, fear God, honor the emperor. See, he says, honor the emperor, but fear God. And I've highlighted for you because that's ultimately what we need to do. What does it mean to fear God? It means to respect God, to revere him. This is the hallmark of wisdom, of fear of the Lord. All right. You will get it wrong until you start revering God, until you start fearing the Lord, until you start understanding the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Until then, you're prone to mess up over and over again. Right. Fear God above all things. Look what the word has to say about that reverence that's due to God. Proverbs is so full of this. Proverbs 1 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom. And instruction don't be a fool don't despise wisdom don't despise instruction you know this rings really true when you're someone who's fired up for something you know it's like i want to go do something i want to go handle this no no that's not a right thing to do because of xyz oh don't tell me what i want to what i don't want to hear you know we have that tendency to kind of be be offended by the things by instruction even though we know that's the right thing to do sometimes let's not be foolish in that regard let's fear the lord What does God want from us? What does he expect from us? You know, how does he want us to live and represent him? That's ultimately the question that we need to ask in every circumstance. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. When you love the Lord, when you fear him, when you revere him, when you when you get a glimpse of an understanding of his holiness, you know, you you start hating evil how cool is that to get to the point where we despise evil right we had that little illustration i think a couple of weeks ago like it's good to build up the spirit to the degree where we just hate it we know who god is god hates evil right it'd be awesome to be on par with him the fear of the lord is what leads us to that and then proverbs 9 10 and there's many more but i'll just give you these three the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom so The more you fear the Lord, the more you understand him, his character, the more likely you are to get it right. You'll know when to do what and how, right? You'll know when to be gracious. You'll know when to speak. You'll know when to rebel, right? You'll know when, hey, that law that the government just passed is not something that is God honoring. Therefore, I cannot abide by that. There are times where we have to do that. The Lord is clear with what he despises. The Lord is very clear with with things that he detests. So whether our government allows for those things or not, first fear the Lord, all right? And then honor the emperor, the president, the governor, etc. I hope that that's clear enough for today. This section here is enough for us to do just an entire sermon series on because it's not referred only here in Peter, also in Colossians, 
and Ephesians and Romans. So let's continue to this next section here, the respect for masters. You're probably wondering, okay, this is interesting because we're going to address slavery here. First thing that we have to do is understand slavery. There's Greco-Roman slavery and there's Jewish slavery. Slavery is not what common Americans would probably imagine it, especially in the Bible times. And Jewish slavery was their form of welfare. Did you guys know that? They didn't have a welfare system. So if you needed help with something, if you needed a loan, if you needed help with groceries, let's say, if you needed help with housing, if you needed help with anything, or you were in debt and you needed to pay something, you would go to someone and you would ask them, hey, can you help me with this? And the, the, the transaction would be, yes, you're gonna have to be subject to me until the debt is paid. I would gladly do that. And there were laws that protect and protected these servants or these slaves. Yes, it was a slave situation, but it was a form of helping one another out. You know, and on the seventh year, God would require that these people would be set free. And so there was standards for the masters and there were standards for those who were enslaved. But it wasn't a slavery where you can imagine the, the Israelites in Egypt. That was a different type of slavery. They were in literal bondage. These people are willingly slaves because they need some kind of aid, some kind of help, some kind of support. And you can have an end date to that slavery. So if the deal is, I will serve you three years, just give me housing or give me this or help me pay for a field that I'm buying. Three years later, you're free. You're a free man. And many times people made themselves bond servants because they developed a great relationship with their masters. And so at that point, they would pierce their ears or do something that said, I am a vol I'm voluntarily a slave because I love my master. That's a beautiful relationship. It doesn't get better than that. Now, how does this relate to us? Let me get into this, and then I'll tell, tell you a little bit more about Greco-Roman slavery. This particular word that, um, that Peter uses for servants, it's a very exclusive word. This is the word that described, excuse me, that described household servants only, okay? What are those? Those are the people who did the, th the work of the employee. So today, it would be equivalent to an employee-employer relationship. A household servant was distinct from someone who was a servant or a slave because of war, because of issues of war, because of breaking the law. There was, there was slavery for that as well. But a household servant was very different. A dulo is a, a, how that word is translated. And so actually the, the official word in the Greek, however, was oketai, specifically refers to a household servant. And so how did slavery work in, in Rome? Greco-Roman slavery was a little bit different. It wasn't necessarily a welfare system, you know. Uh, you could be a slave regardless of who you were. It had nothing to do with race. It had nothing to do with ethnicity. You could be free today and a slave tomorrow. You could be a slave today and free tomorrow. All right, that's how the system worked. A master could be a gracious and kind master, or a master could be brutal and rude. There were laws for slavery. However, they weren't always upheld unless someone was able to bring in the law. Now, if you were a slave in those times, that means that you worked for somebody. That was simply it. Hey, I have a, a, a Roman would say, I have an estate. I need someone to do housekeeping. I need someone to do uh, laundry. I need someone to do security. And I need someone to do my hair and my wardrobes and iron my clothes. 
Well, then that's four slaves right there. And these people would live in that estate and they would do the work and they would be subject to their masters. That's what slavery looked like. Got it? Does that help? Now, if you worked for someone, you were most likely a slave. If you owned the business, you were most likely a master. That's the way it worked. We don't have that today because we have employee-employer relationships, how far we've gone. But this was very normal back in this day. And this was actually a system that was effective and worldwide. It wasn't unusual to read of slavery because it's how the world worked. It wasn't a bad thing to be a slave because anybody could be a slave and anybody could also be free. But a slave, when you were in a slave relationship with a master, you forfeited certain rights. You didn't have the right to vote or to have a say in certain matters. You didn't have the right to even marry. You could have a spouse, but it wasn't legally uh, acknowledged. And if you had children while you were in slavery, your children by default were also slaves, whether your master or, or whether the uh, father was a free man or not. Okay? So anyone who was born into slavery was instantly a slave. However, you can also have terms and conditions. You can also negotiate with the master and you can also determine, okay, I want to purchase my freedom. What do I have to do? And if that's a gracious master, he will make a way for you to have your freedom. And if that master is nothing but a jerk, then you will suffer. And that was the reality. You had people who did suffer under certain masters and you had people who thrived under certain masters. And so we're talking about this employee relationship more specifically here. This is what Peter is mentioning. He says in verse 18, servants, household slaves, is what he's saying. The people who, who cooked clean, protected the residents, dressed their masters and styled their hair, they managed their masters' businesses, etc. You guys... Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the unjust. Like Jesus towards those who reviled him. Jesus responded to the unjust in a way that was just amazing. In Luke 23, 34, we have a great example of that. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Instead of insulting them, instead of reviling them, he says, Father, forgive them. Wow, what grace right there. 19, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. It will happen. These people were being persecuted. They knew exactly what it meant to suffer unjustly. This was happening at large. In Colossians 3.22, Peter addresses them as well, the people in Colossae. He says, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And then look at this. Not by way of eye service, eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now remember, anytime we subject ourselves to anybody, don't forget the fear of the Lord, all right? That's very essential, that's key. We have to do it even though people are unjust to us. <clears throat> this is something that honors the Lord. He was a great example for us. And verse 20, it says, For what credit is it? When you sin and are beaten, for it you endure. If you are beaten but you were actually guilty of something, don't be playing the victim card there, is what it's saying. That's, you deserve that. If you're being dishonorable, if you're being awful to your master, and if you're being, beating, became beat for it, you deserve that. <laughs> and we need to check ourselves because sometimes we think, oh my gosh, how dare him do that to me? Or how dare that happen to me? Well, you kind of were acting a fool. 
So there's, the, there's times for us to be able to check ourselves, but ultimately there will be moments where we are treated unjustly. And so what is expected of us to be honorable, to be loving, to be kind, to be respectful? And I know it doesn't sound right, but this is the word of the Lord for us. And he goes, goes on to say, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. In verse 21, for to this you have been called. We have been called to this. This is what we have been set aside for because Christ also suffered for you. If we are to be Christians, we need to be Christ-like. Guess what? Christ suffered too. And he left us an example. That word example, underlined it there. It's the only time that this particular was, was word was used in the scripture. And the right word for it in Greek was hypogrammos, which is a model for a pattern that was to be copied. Hypogrammos was something that it was like a template for writers and drawers. Okay, he's using this word to say, hey, we need to be like Christ. We need to copy Christ. We need to be like that original template and look just like it. So he uses it figuratively to describe a model for behavior. He says he was our example. Be like that. And Christ did suffer. We ought to follow in his steps. He says, and this is a reference into Isaiah. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, reviled means to be criticized in an abusive or ang angrily insulting manner. Okay, maybe we've experienced that kind of thing. Maybe you've been reviled. Maybe you have. Maybe you've reviled someone. But when Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And I love this. This is where Peter goes into the gospel. He reminds everyone. And we talked about this in weeks past. Above all, just preach the gospel to yourself. Remember the saving grace that comes from Jesus and how it works. And he says as in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, not by yours, <laughs> but by Jesus's wounds, we have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so what do we do with this? I went out. My battery probably just died. It's all good. What do we do? What are our takeaways? First one that I have for you is make it a habit to be generally submissive to governing authorities. This is just something we have to do, including street signs, including signage, right? Make it a habit to be generally submissive to governing authorities. Remember Romans 13.1. It says that the people in authority have been placed there by God. They've been instituted there by God. So God saw it fit for them to be rulers. Therefore, we need to be respectful to that. Let's pray for them. Let's not revile them. Let's show them that we're different because we ultimately fear God. <clears throat> the next takeaway Make it hard for people to accuse you of doing evil. Huh. Psalm 5.12 says that the Lord blesses the righteous and covers him with favor as with a shield. So do good and the Lord will have your back. You know, I love this. And, and people will not have something to accuse you of when you imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. And takeaway number three, you have been called to follow Christ's example. Christ is the ultimate example. Let's copy him. What was Christ like? He was patient. He was kind. He was just. He was 
suffering and forgiving, sacrificial, loving, submissive, respectful, redeeming. Those are hard things to do, especially when you're annoyed, right? But he is our example. And we have so many things to look into in the Gospels that we could see exactly how he responded to situations that are tough, that are uh, uh, just grinding. I don't know a better word for it to say right now. But ultimately, let's respond the way that he did. And then speaking of following Christ's example, this gets even better. Next week, we're going to be looking at how husbands and wives ought to be submissive. That word submit, oh man, we hate that word, right? But there's also instructions in regards to that. So that'll be next week. We're going to see how we ought to conduct our, ourselves as husbands and as wives according to God's will. All right? And so we'll leave it with that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you honor and glory. We thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the, the wisdom, Father, to be able to be respectful to our governing authorities, to be able to be respectful to our employers. Help us navigate those relationships in a way that honors you above all things. And help us know, Father, when not to move forward with governing authorities or rules, let's say, that are dishonoring to you. Help us, Father, fear you above all things. Help us, Lord Jesus, know you in a way where we're confident and how to behave, how to conduct ourselves. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you've given us very spe specific instructions on how to live. So we ask that you would help us do that each and every day in our lives, Lord. We love you and we praise you. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And amen.